appreciate it. Hey, good morning, everybody. You sweating yet? It's funny being from California. Everyone's like, 80 degrees, I'm melting. <laughs> like, oh, California standards, you're just getting started. But nonetheless, sunshine's pretty good. Hey, I, I wanted to start this morning off by asking you a question. And I'm pretty sure it's a question that every human being will ask themselves at one point or another in their lifetime. Um, so you got to play along. Those of you at home, online, here in the parking lot, those of you in the cars, we haven't forgotten about you. Those of you on the sidewall soaking up all the shade, um, we're all going to play along. Normally, right, the pastor comes up and they're, you know, we're going to ask you a question and then you go, okay, I'm not really going to think about it because you're going to give me the answer anyways. Not so. I need you to really think about the question and I need you to really think about the answer. And um, if you're new to church, you're maybe a first time Christian, you haven't been a Christian all that long, or you're still on the edge, you're kind of sitting at home, I don't know, figuring some stuff out, trying to see if you're going to jump in or not. Um, You've thought about this question too. And if you've recently became a Christ follower, this question may have led you to become a Christ follower. And so, uh, you're, are you ready? Okay. You guys ready? No. Okay, good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so here's the question. What do you think about when you think about God thinking about you? When you think about God thinking about you, what do you think God is thinking about? Track with me. We can do this together. When it comes to Jesus and he's looking down from heaven and he's thinking about you, what do you think he's thinking? Really? Like, what do you really think he's thinking? Now, I think it comes down to two things, really. And that's kind of going to depend on how you answer that question. Um, The first one is what kind of day you're having. If you're having a good day, a positive day, you're generally going to think that God is pretty pleased with you, right? You woke up early just before the alarm went off because you got a great night's sleep, right? You're in your devotions, you're reading, and you found the verse, right? Like it's the verse that God wrote for you. So you found it, right? And not only did you pray about it, but you journaled about it. You went one step further. You went to work, and that coworker that bothers you like every single day, y'all have them, that coworker, right? Uh, they didn't bother you. You had an extra helping of patience this morning. Like life was good. You came home. You didn't yell at your kids or anything like that. Everybody got along, right? You hung out with your spouse afterwards. You went to bed. Like it's just a solid day. And you're like, wow, like I didn't, I didn't do the things I normally do and like uh, extra scriptures and God must be pretty pleased. Or you have a different day, don't we? Where you wake up and you've overslept on your alarm, you're rushed, you're hurried, you get to work and that coworker that bothers you, you let them know that they bothered you in a very unjesus like manner. You know what I mean? You came home, you weren't firm with your kids, you lost it. Like you lost your marbles with your kids and then you're hanging out with your spouse and you guys didn't get along, you argued and then you went to bed angry. You have one of those days and you, you might start reflecting going, what does God think about me in that day? Well, he's probably not too pleased. And then the other way you interpret this question, what does God think about when he thinks about you, probably has something to do with your church experience, right? We've all had a church experience. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to generalize with just two experiences. There's two types of churches. There's the all-loving church and the all-truth church. The all-loving church is you go there, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Like Jesus loves you and we love you and love, love. We, just, we love loving, so we love. And what you do, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. In fact, you've got to get out of jail card, like this, this credit card with an infinite limit. Every time you sin, you swipe that thing because Jesus paid the, uh, the price for it on the cross. And you're like, yes, awesome, amazing. Now, 
all truth. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But in the all truth church, you go to church and it's, it's absent love. Although we teach that God loves you because that's true. But uh, we also teach that there are consequences of sin in the all truth church. And we are more than happy to let you know what those consequences are. You won't hear those consequences in the love church because it's all love, baby. We're good. But in the all truth church, we'll let you know. So think about this for a moment, right? Think about your church experience. All love, all truth. Jesus is the full embodiment of both. It's a beautiful thing. And, and hopefully our church and all of the churches are, we, you know, we do our best to reflect that. But we tend to end on, err on one side or the other. Your love church, your all truth church. Then think about your morning and how your day has gone so far. And then think about God, your heavenly father up in heaven looking down on you. What is he thinking about when he's thinking about you? Now take this question to the next logical question. And it's this. What does God think about when he's thinking about those people? You know, those people, they don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't dress like you. They don't vote the way you do. They don't keep their lawns the way that you do. Their sexuality is different. Their finances is different. Everything, you know, those people who live over there with more of those people. What does God think about them? Because what God thinks about me is probably going to be different than what he thinks about those people. Because after all, it's those people and not me and and we and us. See, this is nothing new. This conversation, this question has been going on for centuries. And in fact, in the text we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is caught in this situation. He's, He's with two different groups of people and they're all asking themselves the same question. What does God think about us? And whatever God thinks about us, it's going to be the opposite of what he thinks about those people. So if you've got a Bible, and if you're slightly curious this morning about what God thinks about when God is thinking about you, open up to the Gospel of Luke, and we'll pick it up in chapter 15. We'll start out in verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And I'm not going to set the scene or give you context. We're just, the first two verses kind of paint the picture for us. So we'll just dive in. Are you there? Let me know if you're there. Luke chapter 15. Those of you at home, I can hear you furiously typing. Thank you for playing along. There's five people that have opened up their Bibles here in the parking lot. So we're going. All right. Regardless if you're there or not, we're going. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Don't miss this. This is a huge, huge statement. This is a huge statement. Nobody hung out with tax collectors. And no one wanted to be around the sinners. And yet Jesus is here. See, if you're a tax collector, that means you made a living off of the hard work of your own people. So Rome would employ Jews to go to other Jews and collect taxes. And let's just say the tax, uh, let's say it was 10%. And what tax collectors could do is say, well, we're going to raise that. It's actually going to be 20%. And so what they would do is they would take the 20% and give 10 to Rome and they would keep the other 10. Are you with me? This is what they would do. And everybody knew it, but there was nothing you could do. You had to pay your taxes because if you didn't, you had, you had Rome to mess with. And that got messy. And so they were a despised people group because they made a living off of ripping off their own people, let alone those people, right? 
And so when someone is despised and they're treated like scum, well, tax collectors just played into it. After all, this is who I am, I guess. So I'll play the part. So some people, it was 20. Some people, if you gave me some food on top of it, it might be 15%. Others, if I really didn't like you, it'd be a 50%. Sorry, these are just the rules. Blame Rome. Tax collectors. And then you have sinners because the tax collectors were so bad, they didn't even want to be associated with the tax collectors. You had the sinners. They're like, thank God we're not those people. We'll be the sinners. These are the people, you know these people. These are the people that have, their sins are visible. Their sins are on the outside. They're not like you and I, healthy church-going people where our sins are internal and no one knows about them. Nervous laughter in this area. (laughs) Dead quiet everywhere else. Yeah, these people, you could see their sin. They were the sinners and no one wanted to be around them. And yet they ran to Jesus and they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered to themselves, this man talking about Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. You have two different groups of people. You have the holy, righteous people that are at church every single morning. They've learned their scriptures. They've memorized everything. Uh, If they have money, they're generous with it. They've got their prayers on lockdown. You know, when you hear someone praying out loud, whoa, yeah, those type of people with those types of prayers. They think God's pleased with them because of their occupation and what they do and how they vote and the things that they have memorized and the things that they don't do. And then you have the other group who knows that God is not pleased. He's not pleased because of their occupation, because of the things they do. Because really there isn't anything that they haven't done. And generosity, if you don't have anything, you can't be generous to begin with. You have these people. And each group is sitting here going, why is Jesus hanging out with the other? What does God think about? Because what God thinks about the sinners and the tax collectors is going to be the exact opposite of what he thinks about the righteous people. After all, we go to church every single week. They're just showing up on Easter and Christmas. There's got to be a difference. And so Jesus is smart. Jesus is all-knowing. He's brilliant. And he's, uh, he's reading the crowd. He understands what's happening. He knows the situation that he's in. And so we pick up our text. And he starts telling a story. You've probably heard this before. The first one is the lost sheep. Are you familiar with this? Shake your head up and down if you're with me. Yeah, okay. So he looks around. He sees a bunch of men in the crowd. And he goes, um, shepherds, shepherds. Uh, suppose you're, you're a shepherd, right? And you've got 100 sheep. And one of them's missing. Don't you take off and you find the other one? And in a moment where you have two groups of people that are completely divided, completely separate, there is no unity. In the telling of one story, you have everybody shaking their head in agreement. And they're all nervous about it because we've never agreed on anything. But if we have a hundred sheep and we lose one, we go look for it. And Jesus then says, and, and when you find that one and you bring it back, don't you celebrate? Yeah, of course we do. Why? Well, because we found it. This makes perfect sense. And Jesus is scanning the crowd that's in front of him, and he sees the large gathering of women. And he goes, ladies, when you lose one of those coins, you know, those precious coins that you got when you were married that fit in the headband, is a symbol of your worth, of your value, of your identity. You know, when you lose one of those, what do you do? Don't you turn over all the furniture? Don't you start sweeping? 
You go, every nook and cranny, you're looking for this thing. Isn't that what you do? And all the women are shaking their heads. Because at one point in time, they've lost a wedding ring down the sink. Anyone just out of curiosity? No one wants to raise their hand because their husband's right next to them. They're like, I'm, mm, I didn't lose it. I just placed it somewhere. You, and what do you do? When you find the ring, right? You call all your friends. You're like, I, I, I can't find the ring. What do I do? What do I do? Help me, help me, help me. Would you pray for me, right? And then you find it. What do you do? You call everyone and you throw a huge party and everyone is sitting there. They're so, they're so against one another, but Jesus has both groups sitting there going, that's exactly what you do. And then Jesus, he takes it a step further and he says, he says up in heaven, they're throwing a huge party for something that was lost and that is found. And it's a bigger party than the one that is thrown for something that has never been lost, but it's always been found and the crowd is shaking their heads because they're with jesus they're not with each other they've never been with each other but they're with jesus the men are with jesus and the women are with jesus and before any of them can give a yeah but or a what about yeah but jesus maybe jesus continues into a story and i'm sure you've heard this story as well You can jump over. It's a story of a dad with two sons. And we'll skip down to verse 11. And Jesus continues and he says, there was a man and he had two sons. So we have an older son and a younger son. Probably a behavior and a misbehavior. Real quick, how many of you, you're the older son in your family? Or daughter? How many of you, you're the oldest? Fantastic. How many of you, you're the baby of the family? Isn't it? I'm the baby of the family. Isn't it kind of true that the firstborn's like a little more responsible? Yeah, it totally is true, isn't it? That's kind of a general rule. It's just true, right? The majority of people in church are the firstborn, right? The youngers, they're not here. There you go. Here we go. It's in the text. It's not really in the text, but it, whatever. Uh, so verse 12, here's what happens. Verse 12, the younger... You gotta love the baby. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And immediately the crowd goes, <gasps> Because in the first century, you don't say that at all. He's sitting there, he's looking at his father, and he's basically, what, what he said is, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're going to die, and yet you're kind of sticking around longer than I want you to. And I know I have an inheritance coming, so can I just have it now? And in first century, you don't like spank, regardless of what your views are on spanking or anything like that. You don't do that in the first century when your son does that. You pick up stones and you stone them in the first century because it brought shame upon your last name, on your household, and on your village. You were, ever, you were forever known as that village. Don't go there because of the, the shame, the dishonor. You don't do this. And the crowd is sitting here going, you've got to be kidding me. Jesus, we were with you, but this... He goes on. So he divided his property between them. And at this point, the crowd's going, are you kidding me? Jesus, you're losing us. Not only can I believe that the young son had the guts, the audacity to go and say, I wish you were dead so I could have all your stuff. But then the father, he played along. What kind of a fool does that? So what's he do? He liquidates the estate. He starts selling stocks. He's selling off some equipment. He's selling off the land. And the father's dividing this stuff up. Now, birth order is important in the first century because the firstborn got a a double portion. 
So he divided it really in thirds, right? The firstborn got two thirds and the baby, the younger one got, help me out, quick math, one third, good. Here we go, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I have no idea what that means. But whatever image popped into your brain when I said wild living, let's go with that. That'll work. Are you with me? Catch the scene. Catch the scene. It's the the story. Um, Dad owns a shop. It's a family-owned business, and kids have been working there for as long as they can remember, both the older and the younger brother. They're working hard. While everyone else after school is going out and they're hanging out with friends, they're not. They're in the shop. They're working for Dad. It's the same shop, the same cash register, same food. You can only sell like Twinkies and Ding Dongs and Slim Jims for so long before the excitement just... Everyone else are involved in sports, but they're not. When school bell rings, they go and they get in the car and they drive over to the shop and they work the shop and they close the shop every single day. And it was kind of fun at first, but then junior high hit and it got real old. See, they didn't go to the school dances. They didn't go to the football games. They, they worked. They worked the shop because that's what you do in this family. You work the shop and then you close the shop. And then you work the shop, go to school, come home, and you close the shop. This is the cycle that they're in. And so finally, the younger brother, he's had it. He's had it. He's sick and tired because his friends come in. They buy some supplies. They buy some food. And they go, hey, you want to go hang out? Let's go hang out. We're all going to go over to so-and-so's house and have a party. And he goes, ah, you know I can't do that. I got to work. Yeah. All right. I get it. The conversation happens a couple more times. But you know how it is. After a while, you just stop asking because the answer is always no. And it starts to build the resentment, the anger, the I wish my life was more like that. I wish I didn't have to. I wish I could do more of. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And then one day, there's a long weekend. There's no school. He sees his buddies cruise around. They pull up to the shop. They buy some supplies. They get some food. And they go, hey, you want to come with us? Well, what do you mean? You know I can't. Yeah, I know, but this time it's different. This time we're going to Vegas. Come on, there's no school. We can do it. School starts on a Tuesday. We, we can come back. We'll hit, the, we'll hit the plane. It'll be fine. We can go. Come on, come on, come on. You got to go. Guys, I can't do it. You know I can't. Dad's watching. Yeah, all right. Well, wish you could come. And they start leaving. And then he pauses. He goes, guys, hold on. Just don't go yet. And he runs out the back door. He looks around and he sees dad. Dad's out in the field working. So he runs back into the shop. He knows where the safe is. One turn to the right, two turns to the left, one turn to the right. It opens, gets a box, dumps out all the supplies, lays it on its side, starts grabbing the cash and raking it in. Forget this place. I'm out. Grabs it. He's got the box. He turns to go see his friends and who's standing there but dad. And he's looking at dad and dad's looking at him and he's shaking and he's holding the box. But he's committed. Dad, I'm out. And dad goes, what what do you mean, son? What are you thinking? Dad, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way. I see what everybody else is doing and I want to go. And the dad, calculated, precise, says, well, if that's what you want. Steps aside. Younger brother with the box full of cash 
runs out the front door, sees his buddies, hops in the truck, and boom, they're off to the airport flying all the way to Vegas. Now, with an inheritance and a luggage bag after luggage bag full of cash, you can do a lot of wild living in Vegas, can't you? You can buy some great experiences. You can buy some friendships. You can buy some favors. You can buy respect. You can buy a good time. And most importantly for him, he can buy a new life. So sure enough, they do wild living all weekend long. They're having a blast creating memories. And true to their word, the long weekend comes to an end and they got to go back. They say, hey, you coming? He says, no, there's nothing for me over there. I'm staying here. All right, buddy, we miss you. Boom, they're off. He's still here. He's hanging out in Vegas, having a blast. But eventually, how many of you know this? The house always wins. doesn't matter how much cash you bring in there. Eventually, you're going to drop, and it's going to get low. And on top of running out of all of his money, see, a plague sets out. We could call it a global pandemic. He didn't think it was going to happen. No one planned for it, but boom, it happened. So not only are you out of money, but now society is radically different. And what do you do when you have nothing you call in favors, and you got to believe you got a couple favors after you spent your whole inheritance on a weekend. You can surf on some couches for a little bit. You can stay a while. But eventually, when money gets tight and the resources dwindle, your friendships dwindle, and the favors get less and less and less until they completely run out. And this is where he finds himself. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Do you know anything about the Jewish culture and pigs? They don't belong together. It makes you unclean. You become the lowest of the low in society. There are all these rules of what you're supposed to do if you come in contact with an unclean animal, let alone a pig. And you can't get more rock bottom than being and associating and working with pigs unless, unless you eat the food that you feed the pigs. And make no mistake, Jesus is telling this story. You got two different groups of people and they're all sitting here and they're all with Jesus. And if he ended the story right there, everybody would have applauded. Why? Because that, that is exactly what he deserved. He got what's coming to him. They're thinking, this is a phenomenal story. I can't wait to go home and tell the kids. Kids, you better eat your veggies or not. You're going to go and hang out with the pigs. You're going to eat what they're going to eat. And the two groups of people who never agreed on anything before in their lives. They've agreed on the first story. They've agreed on the second story. And Jesus, well, they're with Jesus the whole way on this story. And if he stopped there, it would have been brilliant. But he, kept, he keeps going. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, this is the younger brother, he said, How many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, he's going to start rehearsing the speech. When I go back with my tail in between my legs and I see dad, what do you, what do you say? What do you say in that moment? You've dishonored the name. You, you look horrible. You live and feed pigs. It, there, there is, you can't go any lower than this. The disgrace and the shame 
Well, it, it's overwhelming. So he's rehearsing the speech. He says, Father, um, I, I, I've sinned. I've, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Like, yeah, that's a good one. Dad's a religious man. He, he's going to love that, right? I'll play that card. That'll make sense. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. That, Dad's going to like that. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. And the crowd is going, Jesus, you had me when he was there wallowing in the mud with the pigs. But now he's going to go home and see his dad. Oh, this is going to be good. He's going to get what's coming to him. I thought you couldn't get any worse. But now he's going to go and face reality. He's not going to get put in time out. He's not going to get grounded. He's going to get stoned. I got to go tell my family the story. Kids, eat your vegetables or you're going to hang out with pigs and get stoned. They're loving this. And again, they never agree on anything. And they are shaking their heads going, this is exactly what happens. So he grabs his belongings, which aren't much. It's a filthy t-shirt with pig food and pig with what pigs do after they eat their food. And let's be realistic. And they're covered with this. So he cashes out. He gets his day wages, puts them in his pocket, and he starts heading off. He's hitchhiking. He's waiting for a ride. Truck after truck after truck passes him by. And he starts thinking to himself, yeah, I wouldn't stop for me either. A couple of them slow down enough. He can see himself in the mirror and he doesn't even recognize his reflection. It's the, the cheats that have sunken in. It's his face just covered in dirt. There's scars. So he keeps walking. Eventually one truck stops. The guy kicks open the door and he says, where are you going, son? And he goes, I'm going north. I'm headed towards the border. Great, so am I. You can have a ride, but not in here. You stink. Hop in the back. I'll let you know when we get here. So with what little energy he has, he climbs up in there and he hops in the back of the truck and he passes out. They drive and then eventually he wakes up and the driver says, all right, we're here, get out. He made it to the small town. He's on this side. The shop's over here. So he begins the journey back home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with anger. At least that's what everyone in the crowd was thinking. Because that's exactly what they would feel if a son or daughter of theirs did that to them. They know exactly what they would do if their son and daughter had the audacity to show back up. They would be filled with anger, with righteous, get this, righteous indignation. They are angry. And the whole crowd is going, I know how this story ends. I know how it goes. His father saw him and was filled with, what's the word? Compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, this is the speech, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Didn't even let him finish the speech. My son is here. Quick, bring everything. The best robe, not just changing his clothes, the best robe. This son is coming back, not as a servant, but as a son of mine. Now there's a word in here that bothers me. I have to be honest. This is church. It's the word quick. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Um, 
wouldn't you want to like kind of slow down and see how it plays out? You know what I mean? Like, well, he's back. I haven't seen him in a couple years and, and you look horrific. Let's see how this whole thing plays out because you could probably be manipulating me because, well, you've done it before, haven't you? Maybe there's like a three-step process where he can kind of earn his way back. If he no longer does this or if he starts acting this way, then we can kind of bring him back in. And the best stuff, well, we'll say that once you complete those steps. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we're civil. It's family, so we'll give you some new clothes and we'll let you eat. It won't be the stuff that we feed the pigs. It'll be a little better. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put, him on, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Here it is. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. And if you grew up in the love church or you grew up in the, church, or the truth church, the, the story probably ended right there. But Jesus is telling a story about a dad who has two sons. Where's the older brother? He's working. Because that's what you do in this family. You work. And so he's working. Verse 25. Meanwhile. (laughs) Don't you just love the meanwhiles in life? All this stuff is going on. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come back, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because, well, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Quick sidebar, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. You ever known any angry Christians? Where's that come from? I I don't know what it was like growing up for you. It it, it could have been a pastor. It could have been an angry nun. Maybe it was a a school teacher who you knew uh, went to the same church. But what? Where did that come from? They they believe in heaven, but they sure do talk an awful lot about hell. And after all, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And they can't wait for those people to get what's coming to them. And if they would only vote this way or talk this way or do this thing or stop doing that or live over here or do this, that and the other, then this world would be a better place. Where does that come from? Have you, have you ever met an angry Christian? Keep reading. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. But when the son of yours, right, not my brother, but the son of yours who squandered all your property, and I wasn't going to tell you this, dad, but certainly don't tell mom, with prostitutes, when he came home, you killed the fatted calf for him. Way to go, dad. So excuse me if I don't go to your party, you hypocrite. 
I might be wrong. I've been wrong a lot in my life, but I wonder, I wonder if angry Christians, if, if they get there, because they look at God blessing other people and they feel like they deserve it and they haven't gotten it yet. Like I said, I, I could be wrong, but I, I wonder if that's maybe part of it. They look at those people and the way they live and they compare it to how they live. And they see the disconnect. And these people seem happy. And they show up at church. And when they sing it, there's something different in their voice. They're not jaded. Oh, they'll get there given enough time. They'll, they'll swing back over and become an angry Christian. But I just, I just wonder, may that have a small part to play in it? We'll wrap it up. Two more verses. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Underline, circle, highlight, with You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Remember, he got the two-thirds portion. He got the majority. He was with his dad. Verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So son, I need you to come to the party. Because our brother who, who was dead to us, he, he's back. He, he was lost, but he, he's found again. He's here. And I need both of you to be with me at the party. It's not a party if you're both not here. And friends, this is the gospel message. You've got two groups of people all wondering what God thinks about them and what God is thinking about the other person because it can't be the same. And Jesus tells them this story and he says, what is most important? You want to know what God thinks about you? He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. Now the moral of the story, the big truth, the big idea is simply this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. God loves you and he wants to be with you. Not so he can yell at you, not so he can punish you, but because he wants to celebrate being with you. It's the gospel message. Jesus for everyone. And I wonder if everyone knows that Jesus loves them regardless of where they've been, what they've done. God loves them. Now it's hot, and I'm going to give you three points, and I promise they'll go quick. But for those of you who feel like, you know, you didn't go to church unless you you wrote down some points, I'm going to give them to you real quick. And we're going to wrap up with this. The first point is this. Number one, the road back to God starts with an attitude change. Remember that passage where he came to his senses? I've done this. I'm sure you have as well, right? You start living your life on your own with your own ideas, your own dreams, your own values, and you start doing it. And eventually you what? You crash and burn. And then you come to your senses or you change your attitude and you start looking at the the Bible. You start reading what Jesus talked about. You start applying to it. And all of a sudden things start making sense in your life. See, I, I grew up and the Bible's a big book. 
everyone talking about the freedom of Christ. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm looking at all the do's and all the don'ts in this thing. And I'm going, that doesn't look like freedom. That looks like bondage. That looks like slavery. I missed it when I was younger because growing up, I realized, oh man, life got better when I did things God's way. And when I did things my own way, it just fell apart. Second one in your notes, unconditional love has to be accepted, not earned. Has to be accepted, not earned. God does not grade on performance. I hope that's very clear in this. You don't need to perform. You're already accepted. He loves you. John 3.16, Kurt just said it. For God so, help me out. Love the world. Everybody. Jesus for everybody. You just, you accept it. And then you start living. But you live from grace. You live from acceptance. You don't start performing so that then you can get kudos with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Oh, society may look at you that way. The church might look at you this way and go, oh, that person. Wow, they're really special. No, 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 no. Level playing field. For God so loved the world. Everybody. Not so God so loved that special individual who never did this list of of sins. For God so loved everybody. Jesus for everybody. Here's the last one. Number three. We have a God who would rather rescue than punish. We have a God who would rather rescue than punish. Jesus for everybody. And I wonder if everybody knows that he's not looking to punish. He wants to rescue. He wants to help. That's the gospel message. That, by the way, is the message that you heard, and that's why you are here, those of you who follow Jesus. And so I want to close in simply this. Um, In my life, depending on the time frame or the group I'm involved in, um, I'm either the younger brother or the older brother. I've been both. And I simply want to lead us in a prayer, whether you're the older brother and you need to repent of your anger because people do not see love in you. They see everything that you are against and nothing for what you are for. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're the younger brother, especially if you grew up in church and you've left, it's time to come back home. And make no mistake, when you come home, we will celebrate, won't we, church? We will throw a party because it's exactly what is happening in heaven. So where you are, you're in your cars, you're here in the parking lot, you're at home. Can we as a church, can we bow our heads? And I'm going to lead you in a, in a prayer. And you can make it your own words or you can use mine. Either one is fine. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And first and foremost, I thank you for your son Jesus and telling this story. God, there's been times in my life where I have been the older brother. I have looked down at other people. And I've been excited that they're going to get what, they're, what they deserve. And I've been up in my little tower looking down at people, judging them incorrectly. And if, if that's you today, would you, would you pray this prayer? Lord, I come before you and I repent of all that anger. I might not know how, how it got there, but Lord, it is there. And so I take it and I place it at your feet and I repent and I turn around and I want nothing to do with it. Holy Spirit, would you help me to see people the way the Father 
sees people. And if you're the younger brother and man, you've ran away and it's not working the way you had planned, your, your relationships are different. And there's something inside of you that's been calling you home for a long, long time. I hope you're ready because you have a church that wants to celebrate with you. We're not going to point fingers. We're not going to remind you of anything, what you've done, where you've been and who you've done those things with. No, 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 no. Welcome home. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer? Lord, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I've been operating on my own strength, my own will, my own desires, and it is not working. So today, God, like the younger brother in the story, I'm coming home. I don't fully know what that means. I've got some habits that I can't quite seem to kick yet. I'm a little intimidated and nervous to step foot in church, even even online church, because it does something inside of me. But Father, I know I'm supposed to head home. So Holy Spirit, will you give me the strength to step back and leave that life and start the journey back home? And Lord, would you help me by surrounding me with people that will show me the way. Not in self-righteousness, not in anger, not with a posture of being better than, but as a humble fellow traveler, because we've all been there. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Hey, let's.